1: true. You believe that relationships are key to our personal, professional, and organizational growth. So now we just talked about in part one, how you leverage those relationships so we can improve our own lives. Now, how do we leverage relationships to improve the lives of others?
0: You know, it's one of those things that it's about service. And I think that if we want to help community. You have to do that in partnership with people. And so I'm often sharing with folks, don't start another organization. What we Mm. need you to do is think about what are gaps in your community? Where, where is need? And then how do you bring your gifts and talents to be able to support that need? And so it really is requiring one, some research but it's also thinking about how do you, just like we did with Heritage, how do you bring a, a group of people together who have passion, who have a purpose to do something well? Your relationships can be very impactful to make, make a difference. I think about a lot of the nonprofits that I've worked with need people who have certain skills. So you could actually go to a nonprofit and provide your skills to be able to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And in doing that and volunteering, you build your network. And so I don't think people recognize that serving on boards is an excellent opportunity for you to not only learn about an organization, help steer their growth and direction, but it's also an opportunity for you to build your network with people that you probably would have never come in contact with. Mm
1: -hmm. And so,
0: I I always encourage people, think about ways that you can get involved, whether it's at your congregation, you know, groups like Meetup are amazing. There's a group on Meetup that just goes out and volunteers. How do you use those tools to begin to help you um, connect to community and at the same time build some relationships with people?
1: Well, we often hear that it isn't what you know, but who you know. And this seems to support one of the definitions of social capital, which um, I'm going to quote here from Investopedia, that social capital is, quote, the potential to obtain resources, favors, or information through personal connections, end quote. Now, when I read that definition, I think, hmm, it seems as if it's it's a little manipulative or is it considered... Uh, you know, something, because we are inherently social creatures, it is, it is just part of human nature. Do we, are we intentionally going out to meet people for certain purposes or are we allowing, you know, the friendships or relationships to unfold naturally? How do you manage that?
0: I think it's a combination of both, you know, the the term social capital started by this um, gentleman named Hannafin. He saw some parents that were talking um, early 1900s and said they were sharing resources. They were sharing social capital. And it's gone through an iteration of definitions, but it shows up in public policy Mm -hmm. and urban planning and economics. But at the core of social capital is really about trust. It doesn't matter, you know, how many people, you know, if you can't build trust, those relationships are only going to go so far. And to your point, there is a negative side of social capital. We see that with, you know, criminal activity where there are people mm. that get together and they do things that are not very, you know, productive. But I don't think we see it as a form of currency that your relationships are your wealth. Right. Because I often tell nonprofits that, you know, I've I've supported you don't have a money problem. You have a people problem. It's a mm. relationship problem. Mm-hmm. When you have the right people in your network, they can then help connect you or they may do it themselves to be able to connect you to resources. And so at the core of all of our problems, I think they are all solved by people. Yes. That the, and, and so how do we begin to start seeing the gifts and talents that we have as a resource, but also thinking about other people in the same way that you are walking around every day with people who possibly have an answer to mm. a problem that you need a solution to.
1: That is so eye-opening and enlightening because <laughs> we don't necessarily walk around all day and meet people and think, hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. this person may be able to help me or I may be able to help this person. So that's very interesting. Well, in another article, and this one was um, from Forbes magazine online, it described a process you know, of, social, of social, cap- social capital. So there's bonding, then there's yeah. bridging, then there's yes. linking, and finally yes. there's identifying. So is there actually a process of creating social capital? Is this something we have to actively think about with intention?
0: Yes and no. It's one of those things that, you know, you'll go to a networking event and people give you a card and, and, and people assume that that's relationship building. Right. That's a transactional relationship. And so mm. I think it's being aware of there are some relationships that are transactional, we should focus on trying to get those and transformative relationships. Mm -hmm. How do we have people that are going to help us and care about us? And that's when you get those folks that are your mentors, your coaches, your sponsors. Those are the people that are really going to to help invest in you. And so when you think about the bonding and bridging, bonding is something that we all do naturally. It's Mm. connecting to people that are like us. Yes, There is nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is that you can start to share homogeneous information because if you're with people that are just like you, y'all are probably recycling the same stuff same over. You'll get, yeah, you may get a few new things, but for the most part, we all have blind spots. Mm-hmm. The goal is to think about how do you do the bridging social capital? That's where the challenge comes, because that means we have to connect to people that are very different than ourselves. Yes. And it's not always race. You know, people think it's, it's race and ethnicity. That's a piece of it. It's ideology, especially mm-hmm. in our country. We oh, tend yeah. to find ourselves connected to people who have the same political views that we do. And again, you're getting only one side of information. And so how do you make sure that you're connecting to people who see the world very differently? Because you don't know everything. That's intel that can help you make a more informed decision. You don't necessarily have to agree. But you can get that information and use that to help you make those decisions. So the goal is, yeah, let's do the bonding. That's fine. But that's where intentionality has to happen is doing that bridging work. And that's not so easy for many of us.
1: Right. Especially these days, as you mentioned, the political environment these days. Oh, Mm -hmm.
0: my gosh.
1: Yes. I mean, I. (laughs) <laughs> that's another yes. that's another yeah. whole, that's other a situation. whole other
0: conversation that's a whole yes. other conversation yes. Yes. so
1: you you mentioned networking so I take it that you do not think that social capital or the creating of social capital is the same as networking yes
0: it can be it's it's a part of it I think at the core of it you know Social capital is about relationships and networks. Mm-hmm. I think networking is the action of social capital. It's Got the it. doing piece of it. There's nothing wrong with networking, but we have to be very honest. I don't know if that's necessarily relationship building. That's right. And, and that, that there is a difference. And, mm-hmm. and typically when people are networking, it's, I want something from you. You may have it. Let's see what we can do together. It's more about transaction. Mm-hmm. And again, those aren't bad relationships, but what does it look like to really begin to be deliberate to get to know people beyond just what can you do for me?
1: Yes, yes. And speaking of, of politics, that's just one aspect of it, but there's so much conflict in the world. Uh, you know, post pandemic, I'm saying post with a little bit of hesitation because I still feel as if you know, we are still kind of in a mindset where we haven't fully recovered from the effects of the pandemic. So there's so much conflict in our our own lives, um, in the lives of our neighbors and loved ones in the world. How how can we cultivate our current networks or new social capital to help ourselves and others to live more harmoniously so that we can truly have impact on quality of life?
0: You know, it's interesting that we don't realize how connection really impacts our health. Yeah, It is a quality of life issue. Yes. You know, Gallup does um, these indicators where they look at, you know, these five elements and several of the elements deal with um, connection. So people want to feel connected in community. Safety is important. Mm-hmm. You know, our physical space and one of the things that they've been able to determine is when um, those elements are not, you know, at the top of, um, people's priorities, so to speak. And we're not having relationships with people and feeling a sense of purpose is when you start to see the isolation of the polarization, they can actually predict when they're going to be breakouts of, of conflict because people begin to start getting more insulated and it's us yeah. versus them. Mm. We also have to think about from a a health standpoint, what those connections can do for our lives. The blue zone research is another example I always reference is when you think about these people live to be over a hundred years old. Oh yes. Yeah. They have a glass of wine, which I'm like, that is awesome. That that may be (laughs) one of the things that'll keep me alive, but in the plant-based diet, trying (laughs) might not live to be a hundred, but you know, the, one of the, the saving graces for me is the relationship piece because yes. they notice that all of these people have a community. That's it's right. It's either a faith community, it's folks that they play bridge with or that they're walking with. It is so important that we recognize our longevity is connected to our relationships, good or bad. There's mm-hmm. another study that's called a Framingham study that they yes. did all those years ago and they looked at people that were smoking, but what they determined was that it wasn't just about smoking. Its behaviors are contagious. So even the people that we're around
1: can -hmm. influence
0: our behaviors that impact our longevity and the quality of life that we have. So relationships are so important beyond just being able to get stuff from people or go out to the movies with people. That's important. It's deeper than that. We are wired to be in community. We do not do well. Even you think about babies when babies aren't touched and hugged and and feel connected, it impacts their growth. Yes. Babies can die. It's important that we recognize we all crave to be in community and to deprive ourselves of something that can be so transformative is what you're seeing now in our world.
1: Yes. Now it's very interesting that in the medical field, when babies don't get what they need, you know, emotionally, socially, um, they have what's called failure to thrive. And I just wonder if that can be applied to many adults in this day and age, because it's, it's pretty intense. The, you know, uh, the rate of mental illness, whether it's anxiety, you know, depression, clinical depression, whatever the case may be, it's, it's pretty intense.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is. And I, I would, you know, the, venture to say, you're absolutely right about that because I don't think we see even what the pandemic did to us. Mm. You notice the number of seniors who were by themselves and living alone and the isolation and what it costs senior citizens to have. And there is something to be said about our need to be in community. I will constantly tell people that you needed to grow.
1: Yeah. Very true. Very true. Well, on this journey of growth, and evolving and working to become our best self setbacks are bound to happen, right? It's, it's life change, change happens. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, but how do you um, personally manage setbacks in order to stay resilient?
0: You know, it's a combination of things. It depends what it is. You know, it's one of those things that as I get older, And I think that's part of it. Um, As I I joke and tell folks, I'm I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm (laughs) an early fall yard bird. And as I've gotten older, I've learned that the setbacks can be set ups. For for something great.
1: Mm, mm. Um,
0: but it took me a while to get to that place because you gotta have a number of them to start recognizing you'll get on the other side of it.
1: Oh, goodness gracious, yes. It, it,
0: it, it takes a minute, but in the beginning, you know, when I was fairly young, it was like it was the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And I cried and I didn't know what to do. What I've learned now is to start looking for the lesson and in, in those experiences. It's not to say that you don't have emotion, you right. know. Two years ago, I Walked away from a job, a relationship, and to to walk away from things that represented so much stability in my Mm -hmm. life. To Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and a friend of mine told me, she's like, "You're not starting over. You're bringing everything that you've learned over these years with you." And that was such a different way of thinking about you know that because it could have been a setback. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, my life is going through all of these changes and. I had to in the beginning, I had to you know pause and and kind of take inventory of what what was happening, but I've learned through that experience it has been a gift yeah, but you you have to allow yourself to be able to go through it
1: and get and past you, the fear. You,
0: you got to get past the fear of it because you could easily stay in you know jobs and relationships that are not good for you because they're familiar. Yes. Or you make a decision of I choose me mm-hmm. and I'm going to do the things that are going to make me better. I chose me.
1: Oh gosh, that should be a t shirt. I choose <laughs> me.
0: <laughs> You're a bumper sticker, all okay. of that. <laughs> Coffee mug, the whole thing. Yes, we got the Banner. merch here. We have got the merch here. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs>
1: no doubt. Talk to me about the power of storytelling.
0: I don't think we recognize the power of our stories.
1: Mm. And our narratives, no matter how dramatic they may be. Oh,
0: we don't. I I think for many of us, we are so busy trying to get over the Mm. trauma and, and, and you got to go through it, but we don't see the richness in those stories. You would not be who you are Mm -hmm. as a plastic surgeon had you not gone through the series of events that have happened Mm -hmm. to you. Right. The story is powerful Mm -hmm. and our identities are connected to the stories that we tell. Mm -hmm. It's important to pay attention to those stories because those stories could either be stories of thriving or they could be stories that make us victims Yes. And so it, it's a choice between is the story one of, of being victorious or being victimized? We have to be very careful of the power of the words that we speak over our lives because those words create those stories. Yes. It's not that you want to create a lie and come up with this, you know story that's not true, right. But you have to know that those stories impact the people you connect to and bring into your life they they impact who you are and how you show up in the world. Yes. So as women, I think it's critical that we sit back and pay attention to what are the stories that we tell about ourselves, but what are the stories that we even tell about relationships? Because we may not have the relationships that we want because of the stories and what we're saying. You attract what you put out or you could be repelling something because mm-hmm. of what you're saying. Those mm-hmm. stories matter.
1: So is that what your podcast tapestry is all about? Are you exchanging stories of uh, whether it's empowerment or, you know, using different words? How, tell me about your podcast tapestry. I love the name.
0: I I came up with it because I wanted to weave all of these women's stories together. Mm -hmm. And it was important to capture these narratives of women who have gone through, You know, Triumph, I had a a good friend on who, um, very educated, made a bad decision, went to jail. Oh, And her talking about that experience as a professional and what it did for her life. And she's out and she's doing well, but it's those stories, Mm -hmm. along with people telling the story of how they wrote a book. All of those things, I think we can find ourselves in people's stories. For me, it was how do you create a platform where folks can learn lessons, but they can see themselves in these other women and go, oh my goodness, I may not have gone to jail, but I understand what it's like to have loss. I understand what it's like to make a decision. It may not have been that kind of decision that cost me my freedom, but I understand what that's like. And that's why I wanted to create you know, this platform of women being able to share all of these beautiful narratives. And and they represent all of us that we all go through these different um, seasons in our life. They got through it. And so can you.
1: So where could we listen to your podcast (laughs) tapestry?
0: So it is now on YouTube. We started going to film. We were doing wow. audio. And so now we're filming. So if you go and look up my channel, Dr. Frostlaw, you'll see um, episodes of. We just started doing video, but um, it has been fabulous being able to now archive in video these stories of, of just everyday women who are, you know, some are in philanthropy and nonprofit management. There is a chef that I got a chance to interview just listening to how they arrived, you know, and how their journey has taken them to where they are now.
1: I love it. And that is one of the reasons why I do this podcast. You're absolutely right. I love people and their narratives and their stories and finding connection through those stories. Yes. Dr. Fausa, Booker, Drew, I owe you a check because this has been like therapy for me.
0: (laughs) You have been wonderful. So we we need to do a check with each other.
1: (laughs) Most definitely. Thank you so very, very much. I have one last question for you. And this is the signature question of the Forever Fab podcast. It's called the Fab Five. So, what are your top five recommendations for living a beautiful and fabulous life? Wow, amazing yeah. question! <laughs> it's a good one. I like it's that. It's an
0: excellent question. I think it's um, talk to the little girl in you. Mm. I I I don't think we spend enough time letting the little girl in us know that it's okay. Yes. So I think it's it's important to connect to self that that's critical. I think number two is you've got to take time to be alone and to reflect, to be Mm -hmm. fabulous in anything that you do. You've got to be able to rewind and listen to the lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing is allow yourself to be around people that pour into you. But they also will challenge you. I would have never gone back to get a PhD if it wasn't for my community of folks who said, you better get your butt up and do this. You can do it. And I'm mm. grateful that I had people who saw my potential when I couldn't see it myself. So you want to surround yourself with a community of people um, that are going to encourage and challenge you. I think the other thing in order to live this, you know, fabulous life is <laughs> as you said, um it's it's about. For me, it's having purpose and my purpose Mm -hmm. was found in my faith. And so I I needed to know that there was something greater than me um, that allowed me to be bigger than myself and, and strive to be my best self. And so my faith is critical for me. Um, to be able to be the best person that I can be. Now, not everybody does that with theirs. And and that's another whole podcast in itself. (laughs) But for me, it it really is about how do I use these tools to be my best self? And then the last thing is have fun. Life is short. Life is so short. And so if you are not intentional about having fun, if you work hard, you need to play hard. So have fun.
1: I love all of those and will execute them immediately. (laughs) You deserve more than a round of applause and so much gratitude. Thank you so very much, Dr. Booker Drew, for your energy, your insights, your positivity. Just just for you. Thank you for you.
0: you. Thank you so much. And thank you for you. I'm honored to be here with you today.
1: Thank you. This comes to our conclusion of today's episode of the Forever Fab Podcast with my guest, Dr. Fraser Booker-Drew. As always, stay beautiful and fabulous inside and out. Thank you, Dr. Booker-Drew, for your insight and presence on the Forever Fab Podcast. And thank you for sharing your expertise. This brings us to our close of this week's episode of the Forever Fab Podcast with my guest, Dr. Booker-Drew. If you'd like more information about Dr. Booker-Drew and her services, please check out Solstice Consultancy at drfrausabooker.com. You can also check out her podcast, The Tapestry Podcast, wherever your favorite podcasts are heard. Thank you for listening to this week's Forever Fab Podcast episode. Until next time, stay beautiful and fabulous inside and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.